0: right now on fast a bargain chip shares of nvidia have more than tripled this year and are trading at all-time highs but one top analyst says it's still cheap we'll hear from ben reitzes of millius research to find out why he thinks there's more room to run for this red hot stock plus assessing the damage. Her insurance company is bracing for a flood of claims in the wake of Hurricane Adalia. But the impact on the insurance industry could be much greater than this one big storm, an in-depth look coming up. And later, so bad it's good. The chartmaster is here with a couple of beaten down names he says are primed to pop. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Steve Grasso, Bono and Eisen, Tim Seymour, and Julie Beal. We start off with the big tech rally getting refueled in a big way. The Nasdaq leading the broader markets today, now up more than 3% already this week. The S&P 500 and the Dow also seeing strong gains as the major markets try to end the month on a positive note. NVIDIA, a major driver for the rally, shares hitting another record today and are up 7% since Monday. It is now up 237 percent so far this year it's not the only tech stock seeing strength apple closed back above its 50-day moving average today alpha posted its highest close in more than 16 months so why is tech staging a late summer revival it feels like we're back grasso rally money yeah,
1: back. It, you know, it's it's funny because it, we've seen this where they were the risk stocks and now they're the security stocks. They're the defensive plays. They were the they were the stocks to sell in a rising rate environment and they became the stocks to buy in a rising rate environment. Everything sold off enough to give people a little taste of a bargain. The bargain was still overpriced, but yet people think this is where I'm going to get the gains going into the year end.
0: Yeah. We've also seen rates sort of come down a bit, Bon, and we backed off at that 4.35 percent, and we seem to be settling in here uh, just above four.
2: Yeah, for the time being. I mean, we've got some economic data out. We've revised GDP. We had um, ADP numbers that came in lighter. So we are seeing some signs that perhaps the Fed doesn't need to be as aggressive. I would actually argue that maybe the sentiment is shifting here just a little bit in terms of bad news being good news, right? It seems on the surface that, okay, bad news is good and that it's the rate pressures kind of subside. But I think if you drill down a bit further, I wonder if the rot- or, uh, rotation and continued participation in these tech names that we're seeing is because people are saying, okay, in fact, if we do continue to soften, where do I want to actually be allocating capital? And so I think that actually is part of the narrative as well.
0: It's the whole, this is the defensive area of the market. The, mag- the quote unquote, magnificent seven. Tim, that's where you want to be in good times and in bad. It's always a place you want to be. Doesn't make any sense to well, me.
3: Well, there's there- <laughs> There's, now, it doesn't totally make sense to me either, and, and I think we've almost seen the best of times, but the market uh, repositioned significantly uh, going into kind of that high-rate turnaround. It was four or five weeks of equity repositioning, and, and obviously yields were something on Friday the 18th that all, was all we could talk about. You've had a major reversal there. As Bonoan talked about, there, there has been some data. There's been some dynamics also, I just think, in repositioning. So um, what I find interesting is that of the mega cap techs, there is new leadership. So Apple and Microsoft, which were the stocks that that we were most concerned about, in fact, they made a very healthy bounce off their 100-day. You mentioned they're back above 50, but that was a a very key level about a week ago. Both look interesting, but it's Google and NVIDIA that if you look at companies that are making relative highs to the S&P, and that's what I'm looking for. Because uh, as I've talked about, the the fact that the triple Q was not making new highs to the S&P, really from uh, that May 24th NVIDIA Q1 print uh, all the way through even its most recent print, Uh, was unable to make new highs. Well, we're now almost within one and a half percent of that least, you know, that relative high to the S&P. And you're getting leadership from other names. NVIDIA, we're we're about to try to discuss and argue why it's cheap. It it doesn't really matter when, in fact, there are so many people that have been offsides, uh, bears that have been crushed and and people that are just underweight the stock that's now the fifth largest stock waiting in the world. So that, that's part of the dynamic. And, and I do think that these stocks, you can make an argument for all seasons. Um, I agree. Also, Bono was talking about bad news is good news. Friday's payroll number, I think, could be a rocket uh, on a weaker number, especially on wages.
0: Yeah. And we have to remember, of course, this is the last week of summer, basically, Julie. And, and I know that folks out there are still watching the show, even if they're at the beach or at the barbecue. But, you know, most people are not trading. <laughs> They've got off. Or well, they
1: could so- trade at the beach or the barbecue, too, now.
0: That is true too. That is a good point by Grasso, um, Julie. But how are you feeling about tech at this point, especially as we are going to, you know, enter a much busier time in the fall?
4: Yeah, I, I, I would say trading at the beach is frowned upon where I work, but um, I understand people have to do what they do. Um, I think, you know, I think it's it's again, it's it's not a monolith, and even within the Magnificent Seven, these businesses are actually pretty different, and I think. Where I'm willing to pay up a little bit more is for you know consistency and durability of earnings. And a lot of that is like recurring revenue. So, you know, for me, Microsoft's multiple makes more sense because you know that is a business that can really forecast this revenue pretty accurately and they know where their business is going. And I think investors are willing to pay for that. You know, NVIDIA is an interesting case where, yes, this is like at the forefront, they basically have a monopoly on a lot of these of this technology, but it's still a chip maker, right? And we've seen cycles where there's over-ordering and a correction. So to me, that's a little bit different in terms of the durability of the earnings. But I agree with, with, with Steve. I think like people saw an opportunity, things were slightly on sale, and they got really hungry for them.
0: Yeah, Do, would you agree with Julie in terms of arguing for valuation? You're willing to pay for a Microsoft because it seems like the business is more durable, is more consistent, is more recurring.
1: Yeah, what what do you think you want to own in the marketplace? You always want a recurring revenue stream. You always want a secure balance sheet. You always want cash flow. And all of these names do that for you. And think about what left the conversation, recession. If we're not talking about recession now, there's a case to be made PMIs late in 2022 that we might have already had a recession Mm -hmm. that everyone was focused on. So if you think soft landing, or maybe we're taking off again. You wanna get into those names that will benefit the most.
0: Do you think that we've heard enough though in terms of enterprise spend about whether or not we've, we've passed that sort of recession trough? Bono and, I mean, are you are you still worried that perhaps enterprises are, are pulling back? Because we are hearing that in commentary, and conference calls.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you brought this point up yesterday. There is some divergence within the groups in terms of where money is going to be allocated. And, and, and you certainly are concerned about that. To Julie's point, I definitely think, you know, ARR is something, I mean, e- even in the earliest stages, right, when you're looking at valuations, you're always going to be priced off of ARR. It is like the most... Um, uh, the, the most sought after type of, 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 of uh, revenue. So anytime you're kind of moving from, let's take an Apple for example, right? And we're talking about their hardware sales and how they're suffering. but. The, the subscription model or the services is where they start to augment that and fill out the rest of that um, uh, business model. And that's why you attach that premium multiple. So, like, I, I definitely tend to agree there.
0: All right. Well, let's bring in one of Wall Street's biggest NVIDIA bulls. Ben Wrights is the head of technology research at Neelius Research. His new note is titled, Dare we say NVIDIA is now cheap? Yeah. Ben, welcome. <laughs> Dare we say. Nice, nice to phrase it that way, because a lot of people would, would argue with that. But yet you argue that it is when you take a look at the multiple based on calendar year 24 earnings and when you compare it on EV to EBITDA basis to or EV to sales basis even to a Microsoft, to an Apple, et cetera.
5: Yeah, well, when you adjust for growth, mm-hmm. there's outsized growth here. Uh, we're looking for 40 plus percent. Uh, growth in sales and EPS. And that's probably really conservative. So right now it's trading at about 29 times next year's number. Uh, It could be a bargain. Um, And their TAM is growing really fast, too. And those numbers look really conservative.
0: So why is their total addressable market growing so quickly? It's just the I mean, the, the, the sell through of the A.I. chip specifically makes the total addressable market much bigger. Well,
5: I don't know. It depends how you want to look at it. The cloud giants are spending like crazy in this market. And, you know, Google, Google just had an event this week, mm-hmm. and they announced an expanded partnership with NVIDIA. And it looks like they're going to be spending a ton on the H100 super chips, which have a huge margin and huge ASP. And NVIDIA is the, the Intel inside for AI, uh, to borrow a pun from many years ago. And you need Nvidia to serve customers, to serve AI, and the clouds are rushing to do it. And then it's giving rise to a whole new GPU as a service, Core Weaves, Lambda Labs, all these second tier GPU as a service firms as well. So there's a lot of spending and uh, we are yet to see whether the apps all come and the enterprise adoption comes, but the spending cycle is gonna last well into next year, probably through next year.
0: So the bears will say that there could be overordering, that there's a lot of pull forward of this. And you actually make the point that they're trying to build a more durable stream of revenues, that they are looking to create this sort of ecosystem. Can you you explain that? Because I feel like that is, you know, the notion that it's a one-off, it'll sell its chip and it's done, is the pillar of the bear case at this point.
5: Yeah, I'm really glad you asked this question. Every once in a while, a special company comes along that's a platform. This is one of them. So there was Apple, there was Microsoft, But every once in a while, one of these comes along. It's very rare. And NVIDIA is probably the only company in semis that has the power to do this, to really be an end-to-end, full-stack platform. What happens when you're successful doing that is you will generate an outsized proportion of the profits for that industry, and it's more durable than people think. Just look at Apple. A lot of people thought Apple would be cyclical. You know, the multiple got really low, and obviously now it has almost a 30 P.E. This company is probably one of those special companies. They're getting into software, cloud services, and they're generating a ton of cash now, so they're going to buy back stock potentially like Apple can.
0: Can AMD not do that?
5: Not yet. No, they don't have the software moat. Fifteen to twenty years ago, NVIDIA made decisions around software that no one can touch. These were decisions made you know, decades ago. You can't just like get into the market with a ported code. And this is... Uh, you know, there's emulation, There's certain things that happen that developers take very seriously and they're trained and they're used to NVIDIA and they wanna use it in the clouds and they wanna use it for AI apps. You can't really just go in and take a big share. What likely does happen is that 80-20 rule, 90-10 rule where there could be a second player, but I don't see their share, you know, going below a dominant level. And I see them leading this market and enabling it, frankly.
0: What kind of reception did you get to this call today? <laughs> well, you
5: know, some people. I mean, look, you know, you 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 definitely got you a lot of eyeballs on it. security
1: on the ride home, or are you good.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I don't need security on the ride home. I mean, look, it, it wasn't that hard of a note to write because the numbers are the numbers. Um, I just pointed it out. I would say that some folks are like, whoa, you know, there's a digestion period going on right now, and sometimes it's just good to look at the obvious. Is We had a big run into the call, and a lot of folks were like, well, is there double ordering? Is there this? Is there that? And people got concerned about that kind of stuff, Um, is supply meeting demand. And then sometimes you just have to take a step back, and you have to say, are we being compensated for the growth? And, look, management is going to be on the road at a lot of conferences. There's a lot of positive news flow to come. I think they're going to do a great job of explaining their moat the end demand and how they are creating a platform. And uh, when you look at the growth, you'll go, yeah, I'll take a stab at that Uh, because uh, uh, it is cheaper now. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the the fun is the revisions are so robust that you got to keep up with it.
0: It sounds almost too good to be. I mean, every part of the story is so bullish, Ben. You've been in this industry for a long time covering technology. Yeah. Um, Doesn't it give you pause? I,
5: I do get nervous. I felt that the last week you know, we, we got a lot of questions before. Oh, is AMD coming? What about competition? And then this week, a lot of things said, is this a bridge to nowhere? Where are the apps? Where's the enterprise demand? And I think that, look, Google had an event, and it was really clear, though, there's still a race at all the cloud guys to spend here. But you do worry about it. You know, NVIDIA actually, I think, I think they asked their customers who their customers are, and they're trying to sell this. And they have to do that also so stuff doesn't wind up in China, by the way. But they are doing a really good job of figuring out where this is going but it's not perfect and you always worry and i was around in the bubble i you know i hopefully look younger than that but the i was around i saw i saw a lot of spending that wound up not being needed um you always worry about that but when you when you do the bottoms up work and you look sequentially out five or six quarters it's really tough to uh not think they grow sequentially and then the numbers come out to be fantastic, like we said. But you got to be careful. You, you always, mm-hmm. you know, there's another data point every day, and things move fast. But for right now, um, when, you, when you, I cover Google, I cover Microsoft, when you look at what they're spending, there's upside to those CapEx. There's not downside. So uh, CoreWeave, uh, Lambda Labs, these, these others are racing. So for now, it looks pretty good. And the best information we have is that these guys keep killing it.
0: Ben, thank you so much for coming by.
5: Thanks. It's great to be here.
0: Ben writes of Melius.
4: Julie, are you convinced? No, I mean, you know, my fiance says this a lot. You know, both can be true. It can be true that NVIDIA is a platform that no one can catch it, that it will own 90% of the market. I actually believe that. I think that's totally true. But it doesn't mean that we can't hit air pockets. It doesn't mean that growing that quickly isn't stressful on a business. It ends up being actually pretty hard to grow that fast and do it well. Um, And so even Apple has had periods where they've grown really strong and then they've had to kind of retrench. And so my biggest concern is kind of what you touched on towards the end, which is, where is the enterprise on this? And do they really want to spend? I understand that Google and everyone is in a race because this is a new business opportunity for them. But I'm concerned that it's, it's not, it's you know, the baseball field that will be not used. It, they build it, what, uh, I don't know, what is that thing? They will come. But I, I'm worried that you know, they're gonna build it and not necessarily everyone's gonna come.
0: Yeah. Uh, Grasso, it it sounds like you're more bullish on the economy, at least for now. Um, And so does that mean that you should be more bullish on a name like an NVIDIA?
1: Yeah, yeah, this is one of the names that obviously it's up 240 percent or or thereabouts for the year. It's very difficult. These are one of those names that I've said when it was up 100 percent, 150 percent. Sometimes you have to hold your nose and just buy the stock. And to Ben's point, if they're you know, we talked about this. If they have 85 percent market share and you've said it's theirs to lose, how long? How long is it their market share to lose? How long are they, are they insulated? He said there's a moat around it, which makes yeah. me feel even more bullish about it. And then people are gonna start talking about a stock split, which does nothing for the, for the uh, shareholder value, other than more shares. So when you look at these names, you would've thought coming out of earnings that the whole space would've rose. It didn't, Nvidia did. The, uh, the, the, space, the rest of the space is basically treating Nvidia like winner take all. So right now, if you want to be in the AI space, you need to own NVIDIA in your portfolio. You own it. I, I don't own it, but I'm going to wind up paying it up. I've, I've owned it. I've sold it. I've owned it. I've sold it. I'm going to have to hold my nose once
0: again and buy the stock. All right. Let's move on here. Checkout out shares of Salesforce on the move after reporting results. The cloud company beating on the top and the bottom lines and offered better than expected guidance for the current quarter. The conference call is just getting underway. Our Steve Kovacs got more details on the quarter. Steve.
6: Yeah, Melissa, well, yeah, like you said, beats across the board for Salesforce. And EPS, that was the big one after the company was cutting costs and increased its prices this year. Strong beat with $2.12 a share versus the $1.90 the street was looking for for EPS. And revenue beat, too, but that was top line growth uh, slowing. It's up 11 percent year over year to $8.6 billion. Now compare that to the 22 percent revenue growth reported in the same quarter last year. More positive news in here. The company raising its revenue guidance for the full fiscal year of 24, easing fears that enterprise software spending would keep on falling. CEO Mark Benioff saying in the release, the back half of the year is looking strong. Salesforce expecting up to $8.72 billion in sales for its third quarter. That's above estimates. And EPS guidance smashing expectations as well, expecting up to $2.06 a share. Street was looking for $1.83. And the call has been going on about 15 minutes or so, so I'll be back with any good headlines out of Mr. <laughs> Benioff, Melissa.
0: All right, keep us posted, Steve. Thanks, Steve Kovac. Bonowin, what do you make of CRM?
2: Yeah, frankly, this is one I was a bit concerned about. I thought it might've been levitating on the AI story, but truthfully, this is really about uh, operating efficiency. If you kind of drill down, right, you look at uh, Free Castle for the quarter, 630 versus 445 expected, and then raising guidance and then the operating margin. I think they, they beat by about 300, 315 basis points. That's real material. And so th- there shows that there's some real meat on the bone here in terms of operating efficiency and profitability.
3: Yeah. Tim? Everything that we've heard both from Ben's argument for NVIDIA and what we're hearing from Salesforce is also just this argument uh, that this CapEx uh, recycling or the cyclicality of this is, is alive and well. And that was one of the biggest questions around both NVIDIA and certainly where Salesforce was at the start of the year from investors' perspective. What were you willing to pay for? And, and the, the valuation at Salesforce, you know, we're talking about 25 times uh, 24 EV to, to free cash flow. I mean, it's not cheap. Um, But but the the enterprise spend and the CapEx within the industry uh, and and everyone, you know, people have been wrong in terms of what we could expect from mega cap tech companies in terms of spend. And and that's what this announcement's about. So it goes higher. It was down into the print. It was down five to eight percent uh, over the last uh, month or so. Uh, Not surprised to see the pop.
0: Coming up, more earnings action after the break. Crowd strike and Okta, both on the move after reporting numbers out of the quarters. Uh, we got those next. And lifting things up from the inside, shares of Lyft topping the tape after some more insider buying. So with driving all the optimism from the C-suite. The details next. Fast Money is back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got earnings alerts on CrowdStrike and Okta, both names on the move after reporting results. Christina Parts and Elvis got the details on both the stocks. Christina.
7: Well, when it came to earnings, cybersecurity name CrowdStrike beat across the board, including its Q3 and full-year EPS and revenue guidance. There was one important metric that came in a little light that caused the stock to drop, uh, actually fall on the negative, and why it's only up about less than 1%. That's net new annual reoccurring revenue, which is a key metric for cyber software names, since it really gives us a snapshot of like current live contracts. CrowdStrike posted $196.2 million in the quarter. Mizuho cited uh, buy-side estimates at about 198. Some saying the whisper number was 200 million. So CrowdStrike came in a little light. There was also its billings number that came in at 835 million. That was slightly lower than the estimate of 863 million. So those two reasons could be why you saw that volatility post 4 p.m. in the red. And now we're coming up now that the uh, call is underway and they're talking up AI. That's for sure. But also a commonality between both CrowdStrike and Okta that you're seeing on your screen right now is that IT spend continues to remain robust. Okta's results were better than expected with very strong Q3 and full year revenue guidance. But the CEO did note that they are, quote, maintaining a cautious near term outlook with growth driven more by existing business rather than new customers, which could also explain why CrowdStrike's net new ARR came in a little light. Nonetheless, Okta shares up double
0: digits right now, 10 percent. Chris? Christina, thank you. Thanks. Tim Seymour, your thoughts on CrowdStrike?
3: Well, on, on CrowdStrike, coming into these numbers, the, the, I, I think sentiment's actually been very poor. There's been some concern that they are not able to gain incremental market share, and, and you know that, I think, in market saturation are, are what they're competing against. Um, those numbers uh, and the guide continue to tell you that that's not the case. It's really gonna come back to valuation, uh, but I, I, I still think that this is a place where companies are not letting go. You look at the ARR, it continues to build, it's a slower build, uh, and it's not competing with AI. So um, I, you know, I'm long the stock. I, I actually have a number of accounts that are along the stock, and, and I like these numbers.
0: All right. Meantime, let's get to Lyft topping the tape today. Jumping more than 8% on a board member buying binge, the company's lead independent director, Sean Agrawal, purchasing nearly 97,000 shares, more than $1 million worth of the rideshare stock. The bulk buy follows CEO David Risher's $100,000 purchase earlier this month. But the stock still remains on pace for an August decline as it continues to trail rival Uber. How are you feeling about Lyft?
1: So so many different levers when you talk about Uber versus Lyft, and Lyft decided to be focused on one thing and one thing only only, pretty much. And the stock price reflects that. Uber just out blows them away on revenue, which gives them the ability to put more money back into the company. It's really Uber's game, and Lyft is sort of living in that world. The stock chart does not does not look great to me. I still wouldn't be a buyer.
2: I mean, I don't think the insider buying is reason enough to rush into the stock. I do think that it's a relative duopoly and that there's plenty of room for both. Uh, You know, honestly, I thought the pure play coming out was probably the way to go, a focus approach to a new type of enterprise that's proven not to be the case. And Steve has already spoken to the lack of diversity and revenue streams. With that said, if you kind of look historically, uh, I mean, I don't know how much further the stock could drop. I don't know how much more negative the sentiment could be around the stock. And typically when you are seeing, I would rather see insiders buy than seeing some type of uh, stock split or reverse stock split or divestiture. So you know what, I I, I think it, there's not much downside from here, even if I'm not really bulled up about the name.
0: There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
8: Going Nuclear. Uranium surging, adding to an already big year. But can the heavy metal move keep on rocking? We'll debate. Plus, insurance impact. The season's first major hurricane making landfall in the southeast. But the impact could be felt across a much broader area. More on the effects from the storm ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
0: Welcome back to Fast Money. Uranium in rally mode, the URA ETF that tracks the space up about six percent this month as China, India and the United States ramp up their energy, nuclear energy build outs. Uranium Energy Corp, Cameco and Denison Mines among the leaders today. And year to date in the, in the space. Cameco is already up more than 60 percent in 2023, but is still about 35 percent below its all time high. Tim, you flag this big move here.
3: I'm long CCJ. I've been long in a long time. And and the story around nuclear is coming together from all sides. In other words, the macro around it's extraordinary. We, we we've heard obviously about face in Germany. Uh, we know what Japan now has to do, despite some of the uh, the poor execution there. We know uh, Jennifer Granholm and this administration are, refer to uranium and nuclear, excuse me, as the largest single source of you know uh, carbon free energy and that it's pushing forward so the supply demand we know new reactors uh, have not been built uh, if you look at all that um, we know the macro is playing in favor of nuclear uh, when in terms of uranium prices we're, we're breaking out we're near 12 year highs and if you look at uh, uranium's 48 bucks at the start of the year is 58 bucks a pound now um, a- again this is a- a- an enormous part of the movement in the stocks and we've seen high correlation between ccj and uranium prices uh, on the bottom up look. Well, company specific. CCJ is executing. This is a company that just completed uh, building out their Cigar Lake mine. They've gotten approval to, to grow out their MacArthur mine. It's a story that the second quarter numbers were fine. The market pushed it back a little bit. Um, everything around this story and people who have been following uranium, been following it a long time. It, it really feels like forces are lining up here. I, I think it goes a lot higher.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a Tim mapped it out pretty well. And and, and kudos to Tim. He's been talking about Kamiko for quite some time. It's 24% of that ETF. So when you look at it, it's a bipartisan effort now. Everyone wants uranium as a choice. It's zero emissions. So in a world where we're trying to get greener, this is obviously finding a lot of tailwind.
0: All right, coming up, flooding and record-breaking storm surge hitting Florida and Georgia as Hurricane Adalia makes landfall. How insurers are bracing for the aftermath that's next. Plus, pot stocks lighting up as a potential move to a lower-risk category boosts the space. Why one of our traders is calling this a game-changer for the trade. The details when Best Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, locking in four uh, four days of gains, straight gains. The Dow and S&P up modestly and the Nasdaq rising about a half a percent. And some more after hours action shares a chewy jumping after reporting a beat on the top and the bottom lines and five below dropping after the company lowered guidance. Hurricane Adalia lashing its way into Florida and Georgia today in what has already been a summer of storms. UBS estimating damages could be in the multi-billions. And as these storms become more common, there could be some big impacts on homeowners and insurers. CNBC's Contessa Brewer has got more on this. Contessa.
9: Hey there, Melissa. Yeah, hurricanes and wildfires, of course, grab headlines because of the intensity of the impact. But winter storms, hail thunderstorms, they can be just as costly when it comes to damages. This year, U.S. thunderstorms are responsible for nearly 70 percent of the global catastrophe losses in the first half of the year, according to estimates by reinsurer Swiss Re. And by the way, those are insured losses. A survey by Munich Re and the Insurance Information Institute indicates 12 percent of U.S. homeowners have opted not to get property insurance at all, and half of those have a household income of less than $40,000 because premiums are soaring across the nation. As inflation drives up the cost of repair and replacement, so have litigation and fraud. And in some states, insurers just have not been able to raise premiums enough to cover their loss costs. Take Florida, for instance. Insurers, dozens of them have folded or fled the state. Many customers' only option now is citizens. That's the state-backed insurer of last resort. But those customers often can't buy enough insurance, Melissa, to cover the full replacement value of their homes. Just this year, Florida lawmakers passed a new law to try and keep the insurance industry from cratering. But look, there's no one size fits all solution. They've got to come at this from a lot of different ways to try and maintain the integrity of the system, but also figure out a way that people can get the insurance they need.
0: Yeah. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer, for more on the road ahead for the insurers, let's bring in David Sampson. He is the American Property Casualty Insurance Association CEO and president. David, thanks so much for for joining us. When you hear about this problem, when you're hearing about the losses um, that have just amounted to to, uh, just a total that we have not seen in this industry ever, what are the ramifications of this?
10: Well, I think Contessa pretty well uh, gave you a good assessment of what uh, the the ramifications are. Natural disasters have delivered uh, hundreds of billions of dollars in losses uh, every year, insured losses every year. To uh, for the last three years, as a matter of fact, two hundred and seventy five billion dollars in insured losses due to natural disasters over the last three years. That's the highest total ever uh, in the United States, Uh, and The first half of uh, 2023, we've already seen $40 billion in insured losses. And, of course, that's going to go up as a result of Maui, as a result of the wildfires and and Hurricane Idalia. And uh, we're not even in the peak of the hurricane season yet.
0: Walk us through what happens, though, to communities where, uh, you know, you can't get insurance. Insurance is much harder to get or is much more expensive to get
10: well obviously we're in the risk transfer business we Mm -hmm. uh, the last thing we want to do as an industry is to have to pull out of uh, any marketplace but the realities are that due to economic uh, inflation the highest rates in 40 years combined with other socioeconomic factors uh, like legal system abuse and the global cost of capital and uh, as contessa pointed out the inability in some states to get adequate rate Insurers are faced with the hard decision to rebalance their book of risk Uh, as more and more people move to the most natural disaster prone areas of the country and are building more and more expensive homes in those areas. We have to be we have to get an adequate return on uh, our capital to be able to be sustainable to pay those claims when they come in.
3: Hey, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. And my question yeah. is, is there some good news in terms of cost of capital and in terms of return on capital from higher interest rates? Insurance companies are also about managing risk and about managing cash flows and liabilities. Um, this is a unique time in history for insurance companies to actually be taking less risk and earning more.
10: Well, that is certainly a factor and has helped. But when you look at the global uh, global capital markets, uh, reinsurance is, of course, a global capital market. Uh, reinsurance rates have increased fifty-seven percent over the last two years. Uh, in primary insurers, don't keep all of that risk on their own books; they they buy insurance from the global reinsurance market. Part of the challenge is that there are, uh, for the global capital markets, there are other vehicles to invest in that offer higher returns than insurance at lower volatility. And so that's a part of some of the challenges that the industry as a whole is facing right now is attracting capital back into the primary insurance market.
0: David, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it.
10: Thank you, Melissa, appreciate it, your interest. David
0: Sampson, um, what a conundrum we are facing as uh, we see more and more of these, um, I don't wanna say catastrophes, but some catastrophes and just some natural uh, events that happen like hurricanes, et cetera, which happen every year but it seems, like, seems very like more
1: and more uh, to your point, we, we, we're seeing these more and more prevalent in everyday life and they're massive now and one seems worse than the next. And this space as far as investing, I, I, I don't want to be callous or cavalier or taking the human element out of this, but it's probably not investable for me because the only thing good about the space is a dividend. And I never buy something for a dividend because the dividend could be wiped out in seconds.
0: I mean, the upside to all of this is that typically after a terrible year, you're able to raise premium, but you gotta wonder also if people are just gonna forego insurance because of the economic environment, insurance premiums are going higher, people are getting pinched. What do you do? You cut back.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it really causes concern from the consumer standpoint. One, affordability and ability to kind of assume home ownership. Secondly, the prevalence of institutional home ownership, right? What is that going to do to rents? What is that going to do to other premiums and, and, and other type of fees associated with just being a renter? So for me, it all just kind of pushes affordability further and further out of the curve.
0: Coming up so bad, it's good. The chart master will join us with a few stocks having a rough go that he says are ready to rally. We've got his list ahead. But first, pot stocks seeing green today. Will the high times continue for these names or are they just dazed and confused? Mm. The trades and more when Fast Money returns. A special week of Mad Money continues tonight. Jim is unveiling more of his rules of investing and his most important market lessons. That starts at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on CNBC. Meantime. Hot stock soaring on news that the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is recommending that cannabis be reclassified as a Schedule Three controlled substance. The move away from Schedule I would put cannabis in the same category as drugs like ketamine, anabolic steroids, and testosterone. It would make possession a misdemeanor rather than a felony. Right now it's in the category along with LSD, heroin, and ecstasy. Um, so, Tim, obviously this would be very meaningful for the industry
3: yeah and and drugs that have no medical medicinal benefit so so uh, the headline is important because again it's it's a recommendation from the FDA uh, who's been doing the research and this is you know goes back to October when this administration pre- president biden uh, basically said when he was also proclaiming that he was giving pardoning and, and essentially federal offenses related to uh, drug possession that were cannabis related, he, he was ready and has um, been on board. He also then told the FDA and the HMS to start working uh, on the science side of this. Ultimately, uh, this letter was a letter to the DO, to the DEA. Uh, the dynamic is very important because it, it doesn't mean federalization uh, is on the horizon. It means that you could possibly, by reschedule, and cannabis down to down to schedule three, you would change a punitive taxation that the industry has had from day one, uh, something called 280E that basically means uh, most cannabis businesses by definition cannot be profitable. So the headline is very important because it actually could be fantastic for the legacy players. It changes onerous tax regime that could increase free cash flow from operations and make these businesses wildly cash flow generative, as most people thought they would be. Um, It doesn't change the illicit market, which is running out of control. It doesn't change uh, the federal issues. It's still an asset heavy industry. Um, But this would be uh, probably the biggest you know, present under the Christmas tree for the industry, I I would make an argument and it will certainly help foster some of the banking follow through that that the industry is expecting. I would also say that often when we have these conversations about cannabis, people get upset because the Canadian names rally more than the U.S. names. Um, This news really does zero for the Canadian names here. In fact, uh, if anything, again, the the Canadian names uh, on federalization, maybe they are interesting because you can start have access to the U.S. markets, but this is a U.S. story today uh, for an industry that's obviously been beaten up, but the Biden administration has to do something here to follow through. Um, and it kind of makes sense politically uh, at this point of the election cycle. Yep, we are close to the election.
0: Uh, Julie Beal, are you an investor in pot?
4: I, look, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again, giving your parents a tiny little edible at Thanksgiving is <laughs> not a bad idea. Uh, I'm you know, i I'm in California, so it's legal, okay? Like, it's it's fine here. Whatever legal-ish, but look, I, <laughs> I I think this is a pretty big change. It's it's pretty remarkable, and it has actually implications for you know uh, you know our prison problem right now and overcrowding, which has been such a, a challenge for us. So you know, I think it has follow-on implications. I still struggle investing in something that is so nascent. But I think there are ancillary companies like a Scott's miracle Grow that actually has a, a, sub, a, a separate business that you know supports the, the pot industry. And so that's, a, I think, a safer way for me to play it. All right. One
0: options trader making a very, very well-timed bullish bet on pot stocks today. Mike Co has the action. Mike, what'd you see?
8: Yeah, so I was looking at MSOS,
2: that's the Advisor Shares Pure U.S. Cannabis ETF. This one traded well over eight times its average daily options volume, closer to nine, actually, over 100,000 contracts. So that represents about 10 million shares. There were a number of bullish bets that we saw in here. One of them was a ratio call spread, the January 6, 10, 1 by 2 call spread. We saw 1,950 by 3,900 of those trade. It was a net debit of about $0.33 selling those upside calls, mitigating the cost of the Jan 6 calls. These are high volatility names, making a bet that this could recover back to that $10 level by January expiration. All
0: right, Mike, thanks. Mike Coe for more options action. Tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, he's made his list. He's checked it twice. The chart master will join us with picks that are so bad they are good. Grab a pencil and paper. You can't afford to miss this one. Fast when he's back in tune. Welcome back to Fast Money. Major markets on pace to post losses for August, but some stocks pullbacks may be creating an opportunity. The chart master is taking a look at a couple of names he says could be so bad, they're actually good. Let's bring in Carter Worth and Worth Charting. He's got some bearish to bullish reversal buys. Carter, what are you looking at?
8: Well, that's right. So as distinct from a so bad it's good, which is just going straight down and down and down. At some point, one just gambles that it's so bad it's good. These are heretofore very bad stocks that are now quite good meaning they've made the turn and we think they go higher let's let's look at them but first a table or two just to set this up so there's the s p unchanged over the past two years and now we're looking at stanley black and decker hand tools versus yeti of course that's coolers and beverage holders versus match.com online dating they have nothing to do with one another but on a two-year basis they're a disaster look at those numbers now on the other hand look at this over the past three months it's quite the opposite. They've, they've made the turn. It's what a bottoming out uh, formation is. The S&P is up 7% over the past three months. And look at those numbers. Yeti's almost 5X, Match, Stanley, Black, and Decker. So let's look at the charts individually, one at a time. So you'll see, of course, the circumstance is the same. The precondition of pronounced weakness, each of which, Yeti being the first, has started to bottom and base. Some call it a bottoming out formation, a rounding bottom. I prefer bearish to bullish. Reversal, let's look at the next one. Now again, Yeti has nothing to do with hand tools, but it's the exact same circumstance. Your moving average, your automated trend line is turned. That's the 150 day. And uh, finally, uh, the last of the three, and you'll get the picture. It is all the same circumstance. Preceding weakness and now impressive relative strength month over month, all to the extent where the moving averages have flattened and turned. So finally, let's look at a comparative chart. Same time timeframe, uh, two years. And that's the story. There's the S&P, virtually unchanged over the past two years. And yet these stocks, great uh, disasters that have all made the turn. Bearish to bullish reversal buys, all three.
0: Wow. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth. He always brings names to the table that make you think. Julie, are you thinking any of these look good?
4: Uh, You know, I think of all of them, I would probably rank match above the others, It it at least benefits from, we call them mini network effects, where the more people that are on the dating apps, the stronger they are, and they do have some quality names that, you know, have some good critical mass. Yeti, you know, it's very scary to me to have such a high-priced product that doesn't necessarily offer the most exceptional functionality so, I, I think that's a consumer product brand that I'd be nervous about. And Stanley, the amount of leverage on that business is a, is a no go for me.
0: The coffee cups, the Yeti coffee cups, they leak. I mean, you, Come on. You, yeah, you knock it over. <laughs> really? You get the cover on, it will leak.
1: Maybe you had an yes. defective one, you should get your money no,
0: back. No, I'm telling you, they leak. They're not meant to be airtight like that. I mean, they keep the beverage cooler or hot, fine, but they don't keep it inside. Hmm. Um, anyway, Bonwin, you like any of these names? Uh, it's just an FYI, you know, public <laughs> service announcement.
2: <laughs> uh, Match would also be my pick, the the best of the worst, I guess I'll call it. Uh, it, for a slightly different reason. Like, I don't want a durable goods company right now. I'm really concerned about the consumer. Similarly with Yeti, again, it's a, it's a consumer good. And if you see where inflation is in terms of consumer experiences, that seems to be the place that continues to hold up. Uh, as it pertains to the consumer. So I I probably wouldn't bet against that trend.
1: I I like uh, Stanley. I actually, I, I like the chart on Stanley a little bit better than that. And if you think about the market psychology, if you look at the chart for the last three months, when Apple and all those large cap tech names start to bottom, people buy those first and then they reach out on the risk spectrum. That's why they're running. So I think as long as the market does well, these names that are tertiary names
3: will do well as well.
0: Tim, your, your quick take.
3: I'm very handy with a power tool, and I, I'm <laughs> a buyer of, of Stanley. I, I mean, I, I think the, the bottom line I'm here sure is, you is uh, uh, services get more. Yeah, thank you. As services which, get which, more expensive, <laughs> Stanley is in the game. That brings up his match game.
0: profile, too. <laughs> <laughs> He's a happily married man. Anyway, final trade's next. <laughs>
4: for the final trade, Julie Beal. Yeah, I mean, insurance sounds pretty scary, but I like insurance brokers and Ryan's probably the best run one. Tim Seymour.
3: GDX, we're we're starting to see some gold fall through. uh, Gold and silver, rates stay down, growth slows. This is great for gold. It's been up, it's been down, it's time to buy it.
2: Bonowin. I'm not the biggest bull when it comes to retail. I'd be a better seller of XRT. Steve. Hidden AI play, Micron.
0: All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. Special series Mad Money Back to School starts right now. warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.